am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. is the author of thrillers, The Missing Sister, Lies We Bury, Strangers We Know, and her latest is The Family Bones. She is evidently a fan of coffee. The Missing Sister was a number one Amazon bestseller and an Amazon charts bestseller, while Lies We Bury earned a Kirkus starred review, and Strangers We Know was an audible most anticipated thriller. Publishers Weekly gave a starred review to The Family Bones, saying, Readers will be captivated from the very first page. Originally from Sacramento, Elmar graduated from UC San Diego before moving to France, where she earned a master's degree from the Sorbonne University in Paris. While not working on her next book, she enjoys watching French Netflix shows with the subtitles off in Oregon, where she lives with her family. Welcome, Elle. Thank you for having me. Can you talk to us about what you've been doing since we last spoke? My book, The Family Bones, just came out. So I was working on edits for Tony Bones. I am working on a, another psychological thriller called The Alone Time, which is available for pre-order now. And I had a baby, a human baby, in addition to the book babies. <laughs> Most importantly, a human baby. So it's been busy. <laughs> and let's preface it with, you already had a human baby at home. So this isn't like you just have one. You're managing human babies and the books. Right. That's Oddly enough, I knew what I was getting into, and then I added another human to the mix. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what you said earlier before we started recording, you've got a, a little partner, though. She's helping you. She's not hindering you, I should say. She is not. She is the sweetest little teammate. We, <laughs> I say we, we wrote the family bones together while she was in utero. She was just the best teammate from then on. She was an easy pregnancy and allowed me to write when I could, when I wasn't caring for her toddler brother. And edits this last year with her while um, she's been an infant have just also been a dream. She's a great sleeper. So I got very lucky twice. Yes. My first one was a great sleeper. The second one, I don't think she slept completely through the night. She was like nine months. That's exhausting. Oh, yeah. My daughter didn't sleep the night until she was six months, but she's an excellent napper. If I had my eight cups of coffee, I could work really well during the day in preparation for the interrupted night. And the nice thing is with what you do, you can write whenever. It's not like you have to clock in at eight and clock out at three. So there's that. Absolutely. She wakes (laughs) up at five. I stay up and start my day. Tell us about The Family Bones. The Family Bones is very near and dear to my heart. It's the culmination of a few years of research through researching other books. It's a locked room thriller set Mm. in the mountains of Eastern Oregon, where a family reunion of psychopaths goes horribly wrong. (laughs) And if you throw in my true crime podcaster, Bertie Tan, who obsesses over cold cases that the media miss, I am hoping that it's a compelling read for readers. It sounds like the perfect mashup. How do they know they're all psychopaths? Yes, exactly. That's the question. A major theme in this book is nature versus nurture, something that I have been preoccupied with in the past, but especially around psychopathy and the greater psychology category of antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So that's psychopathy, that's sociopathy, that's borderline personality disorder. So to answer your question, they don't all know. This is just a regular family. They have their regular petty dramas from childhood that have leaked into their 40s or their 50s or their 60s. And there is a lurking possibility of, well, 
cousin Bill has psychopathy. He's diagnosed. Do I have it? Have I never been diagnosed? Mm. So most of these characters in the Erickson family are highly functioning, successful individuals because they have conformed to society, as we all must do at some point or mm-hmm. another. Some of them are CEOs. Some of them are doctors. Some of them are Boy Scout den mothers. They're very successful people because as in real life, psychopaths, generally speaking, those who choose treatment, learn to operate within society's bounds, right? So it's not all Michael Myers, Hollywood, scary psychopaths wielding knives or what have you. I tried to create a more realistic presentation of psychopathy and the attenuating, you know, cousin conditions. So it's a lot of neurodivergence and then also mm-hmm. some neurotypical. Yesterday, when I was having my lunch, I don't know, it was Netflix or where I landed on it, but it was a series on BTK, which I live in Wichita. I didn't know BTK was from Wichita until I had just moved here. You talk about, you know, being the Boy Scout leader and having to figure out a way to fit in. And I mean, he is, I don't want to say he's an excellent example of anything, but he fits the bill on that one. Textbook, 100%. When I first moved here, Alifair Burke had come to town. She came to the indie bookstore here, which she used to work at that indie bookstore, which is really funny. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. She was telling us when they moved here, they'd moved from Florida and the parents were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so nice because you're going to be able to ride your bike. It's a small town relative to where they came from. And then we got here and BTK was a thing. And so no, she said, no, we were checking the basement doors and windows every night. Yeah, it was not the dream they thought. I know, it's terrible. (laughs) I was like, no wonder she writes thrillers. (laughs) Yeah, she has to. Wow, there's too much to plumb there. Wow, that's a lot of experience. Well, and you know, her dad is James Lee Burke. Yeah, so he came and took a position, professor at Wichita State. Wow, she's done yeah. right. That's amazing. Yeah. And I love her work. So yeah, like these people, they just modify what they're doing and then they still do their bad deeds. That's I guess. exactly it. And speaking of um, BTK being from Wichita, I grew up in Sacramento and a lot of my previous book and a lot of the research that I did for that previous book on the Golden State Killer, where he began his crimes in Sacramento yeah. Um, just totally threw me through a loop. Um, speaking of like being shocked by the idyllic surroundings and yeah. learning that there are some monsters lurking within, that guy was a police officer for a time. And so there's a, a lot that he kept covered for many, many, many years, of course, until his arrest started in the 1970s and was arrested in 2018. So, I mean, a lot of that of researching why someone does the terrible things that they do really informed my characters in The Family Bones. And also, Actually, I saw the documentary, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, based on Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone. I'll Be Gone, I'll be in, gone the in the Dark. Okay. It's something that the Golden State Killer said to his victims. Oh. Uh, and so there was an interview with his nephew, the Golden State Killer's nephew. It was so heartbreaking because, of course, he was horrified. He's this perfectly normal person. And that really got me thinking about the ripple effects. In today's society, we really amplify the victims and the survivors and try to focus on those people's lives that were unfairly taken versus glorifying the perpetrator. And then I also think about the family members mm-hmm. who did absolutely nothing, who didn't catch that person because, of course, they're psychopaths and they're too good at their at covering up the tracks. So like the innocent family members who are then forever tainted in some way as well. A lot of the family bones talks about the ripple effects of previous crimes and then the intergenerational trauma that that feeds for the future. A fresh take on things. Yesterday, they kept going back to BTK's daughter because she had no clue. She, you know, she talked about how you don't get into dad's stuff and he was very regimented. But when they came to find her, she had married, I think she was living in Michigan or something, and she was student teaching. 
And when they told her, she had remembered a woman had passed away in the neighborhood that was murdered and they never figured it out. And she said, you might want to check now that she knew. And you just think, oh my gosh. And to have to say, well, while you're at it, there's this neighbor down the way. So what some could, small way. Yeah. What did your research look like? Truly, it was the culmination of years of research and like unabashedly rubbernecking at crimes that have occurred over the last 10 years and just like things that have just stuck in my consciousness that I haven't been able to really excise. It's this terrible true crime fascination that I think a lot of us have these days, either because your streaming platform is pushing it to you Mm -hmm. or because you're seeking it out directly yourself. I have gathered a lot of information over the years. And I also taught psychology while I was living in France for a few years. I taught psychology at a local university there. And while there, I also got into what antisocial personality disorder was. I taught like a section on film, actually, on like the Mm -hmm. difference between Hollywood psychopaths and also textbook psychopaths, which are vast different, of course. That was over a decade ago, but all of that information has stuck with me and I've kind of imbued that in my writing. Well, and I think when you look at Hollywood versus real life, I think that's why the people in real life get away with it. You know, it's kind of like in writing, they tell us don't make these characters two-dimensional, cartoonish, you know, two textbooks, scary or whatever. But in Hollywood, they do that. And in real life, if you did that, people would go, oh my gosh, that guy's a freak. Stay away from him. So with your research and all the stuff that you know, did it ever scare you when you were writing it? Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) I mean, does it make it like where you go to the grocery store and you see somebody and you're like, oh, you kind of remind me of, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think I've had moments like that. I should have mentioned earlier, I did a lot of true crime podcast research because of my true crime podcaster in the book, Birdie Tan, who I love. She is your typical stay-at-home mom, but when her kid goes down to sleep, she does true crime podcasts. Oh, I love that. She researches. Yeah. And I actually was inspired by Michelle McNamara, who is the author of the book I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Michelle McNamara, she happens to be the wife of comedian Patton Oswalt. Yeah, he's great too, but she's her own total powerhouse. How are you balancing deadlines, family, promoting your new book? How are you doing all this? Uh, I know coffee. Yeah, coffee, so much coffee. (laughs) Coffee and carbs. Those two are my main fuel at this point. And I have a very supportive family. My husband is just so great. He works from home, so we do share childcare. And then also I have additional childcare help. It's a total blessing the way that things have worked out. And as I mentioned, my kids are really good sleepers. I could not write or edit if I didn't have good sleepers. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand why writers do take off several years when they have Mm -hmm. young kids because it's just, it's so, so hard. But luckily it's working so far. How do you plan out your writing days? I mean, it sounds like you work with your husband to kind of get a system. On the weekends, definitely. Uh, During the weekdays, I wake up early if I'm writing or I'm editing and I'm on Mm -hmm. deadline and uh, my baby will sleep until about 7.30 or 8. So I can wake up at 5 and have like a solid. Great. She's so great. (laughs) I can have like a solid two hours in the morning and then she naps in the morning around 10. And then she naps in the afternoon sometimes for at least an hour. So it's like, if I know where I'm going in a story, I can knock out several thousand. Well, I don't want to. That's probably not true. I'm overselling myself now. So what is a really great writing day look like? Like word count or page count? I mean, what do you put up there if it's like super good? A chapter, which could be oh, as wow. short as six pages. Yeah. Yeah. If I get six pages in a day, I'm very happy with that. And so yeah. that's probably, what is that? Oh, about 2000 words for me. 
That's a great day. That is a great day. You said you're editing another one right now? I just turned Tell in my next book. About it. I just finished the first draft actually last week. Sent it to my mm-hmm. editor. She's reading it now. It's called The Alone Time. I pitch it as a cross between Showtime's Yellow Jacket mm-hmm. and Karen Slaughter's Pretty Girls. Ooh. So it's a plane crash thriller set 25 years after the plane crash and focusing on the surviving daughters, the two sisters, and some secrets that come out as a result of new interest around a documentary. We always love those secrets. They're the best, aren't they? They make the best They make books. life interesting. I'm also working on another book. It's called Your Dark Secrets, and it's coming out with Disney's Hyperion Avenue books next summer, summer 2024. So is this a YA? This is adults. They open up an adult thriller imprint. So all my books to date are psychological thrillers. This book is a straight thriller. It's in the vein of Netflix's I Care A Lot and HBO's Flight Attendant. So it's a lot more of just straight thriller adrenaline, like what's going on, who's coming after me versus like the psychological aspects of emotional trauma. So I've got one psych thriller in March next year and then a a straight thriller with Disney next summer. Awesome to hear that Disney has that line. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they just opened Exciting. up a couple of years ago. And I'm super excited to sign with them and, and do this book. So that'll be what, your sixth book? Is that right? That'll be my sixth book. Yes, uh, thank you. As you're finishing six, what do you wish you'd known when you got started? That it is a, it truly is a marathon, your writing career. And it's, I feel cliche even saying that because it is a cliche, but especially with regarding writing, everyone tells you that. Mm-hmm. Everything online tells you it's a marathon. So choose wisely and don't rush. However, I really felt so rushed. (laughs) I felt like all my friends who were writing were getting book deals or getting their agent deals uh, or already publishing their books. And I felt so much internal pressure. No one else was placing Mm -hmm. this pressure on me, but I felt the pressure to to get it done. And I have no regrets about how things have gone. I've been very fortunate in my career thus far, but I felt, I think I would have enjoyed moments more if I didn't have the, those small voices in my head being like, you need to do this, you need to get on this deadline. I've been doing a book a year for the last several years and since 2018, really. And uh, it's been really great. And then also uh, kind of a blur in other ways. So my call out is that it is a marathon. It is okay to take extra time. Your editors do build in more time into your timeline, your publication timeline, than what might be described up front. And and it'll all work out. Like, do the best book you can do for you, because that's going to live on, like, past right. whatever you, the next book is, or and, you know, hopefully past you. This is a, this right. is what we leave on this earth, which is a pretty wild thing to think about, too. What have you read lately? Or have you had time to read? <laughs> yes, Other than I board am. books. <laughs> Board books, they are the best. I've read a lot of Giraffes Can't Dance <laughs> with Mama Llama, Pajama Llama Mama. <laughs> Messing up that title. Um, I'm in the middle of finishing Lucy Foley's The Guest List, mm-hmm. which is another fabulous locked room thriller. And I am reading an ARC, uh, an advanced reader copy of a new book that's coming up. Okay, so what do you do to keep your writing fresh? Because obviously you do come up with a different, you know, a different angle, it seems like every book. So so how do you do that? I love reading and I I I wish I could accurately describe myself as a reader currently, but I just don't have the time to like really dig into books that I, I used to. I used to read a book a week. So that's it's harder for me to come by these days. So when I'm not being able to just sit down and read, I will watch uh, Netflix shows <laughs> or really anything like that's all dreaming for inspiration. I am so 
pro watching TV and film for writing inspiration and for story structure inspiration. TV and film is so awesome uh, if you're looking for like story help because it is so regimented according to percentages. So you can see Mm -hmm. exactly what a plot point is at the 25% mark, uh, which in turn causes me to go, why is my 25% mark not more exciting? Why is my first plot point not like, bam, like something is missing there. I don't really, I don't care. If I don't care, reader's not going to care. So I do a lot of binge watching and I write it off as work. (laughs) Were you watching the Murdoch trial for the last couple of weeks? I, I didn't, but I followed that all the way up until the trial. I haven't gotten to the trial itself. I tell you I what, everything. if you can get to the episode, I never say episode, get to the episode, get yeah. to the, the trial video where they triangulate the phones and the GPS and the cars and it, I, my husband came home and I said, okay, I'm just telling you, if you're going to kill somebody, don't take a phone, don't wear your watch, <laughs> don't take a car, ride your yeah. bike and yeah. wear a costume because yeah. <laughs> it was wild but it is it's true I mean when you just look around both in the news and on all the stuff that's streaming it's fascinating and you can get a lot of great ideas especially the streaming stuff because they do operate off beats and right if it's not and exciting it doesn't make it <laughs> exactly and yeah, like viewer attention spans, I think are so much shorter than reader mm-hmm. attention spans. Like readers generally like, if I like this character, I'm going to follow you for another hundred pages. We'll see what, what happens. But viewers, you got like seven seconds to catch someone's interest, right? So uh, I'm with you. Like beats are so important and it's so educational to watch anything, mm-hmm. anything visually on streaming. Also, I was going to say, speaking of the GPS triangulation mm-hmm. um, yeah. tidbit there, There's so much science that's coming up that's becoming more widely used. There's a lot of legislation that's working to catch up to it. That's something else I learned while researching I'll Be Gone in the Dark and Michelle McNamara's research methods. There's a lot legally that we haven't quite understood about DNA testing and how Mm. the police can use DNA testing. DNA testing that's uploaded to the public national database. It's really neat. The legal aspect that like the science has like surged ahead of our laws our legislation. And there's so much gray area now about what can be used in court to convict someone. And the murder trials are really interesting to see how Mm -hmm. the GPS and translation, as well as the Idaho killings, those poor Mm -hmm. college students. I was thinking about that Um, one too. Because didn't they use a family member? I'm not sure about that. Seems like I heard that the Idaho one, it was a family member that had like participated in one of the DNA at home tests. And their DNA was close enough to the killers that that's how they found him oh i think i did read that yes and that's very similar to how the golden state killer was identified as well yeah and for the golden state killers trial initially they were like can we use this because there was a lot of question around if that information can be used because the cousin or whomever second cousin third cousin didn't know their dna would be used to convict their relative and that's what i'm saying like the law is still trying to catch up to all of the scientific evidence that's like these crazy advances that should be used to capture horrific yeah, people yeah. <laughs> that should get them off the streets yeah. in prison. But uh, defense attorneys are, are doing their job to call that into question. So the law needs to catch up to a lot, but it makes a really interesting writing and uh, plot twist. Boy, we've come a long way from the OJ trial, huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. What? Yeah. DNA? What's that? Exactly. <laughs> How do you relax after a great day writing? Honestly, I'll have a glass of wine. And I'll make dinner. <laughs> I discovered a long time ago when my kids were small that the only time of day that I had any control over anything was when I was cooking dinner because my husband would help me with the kids and 
I could control what went on in the kitchen. Some days I'll say, oh, we're going to have something delivered. But there is something really wonderful about just having a little bit of control in your own little orb. Absolutely. And then also like not focusing on anything like for me, it's not really cerebral, like cooking is more like it's something else. It's a different kind of art, right? So it's, it's mm-hmm. just using a different part of my brain, which is also relaxing to me. It's almost like playing in the sand or something like, you know, you're, you're yeah. not having to think so much about it. Sensory. So what is your advice for new writers? My advice for new writers? Oh, this is the first time someone's asked me this on this uh, book publicity tour. If you're a new writer, I would say trust the sparkle, trust oh, like uh, whatever, whatever stands out to you and is shining bright on your dashboard and pursue it. Because uh, even if you lose it, the sparkle is always there. It just got covered up by some red herring or some subplot that didn't go anywhere. But go back to the sparkle and keep mining around that diamond (laughs) until you uncover the gem of your story. Thank you, Elle. It's It's so much fun talking to you. Thank you, Chris. To learn more, visit lmar.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.